Hello everyone and welcome to this new episode of Pacific Talks Season 2. I'm your host, Philip, and in this podcast, I engage in active conversations with my guests to talk about global challenges through a Pacific perspective. Today, I'm very happy to introduce my guest for this episode. For once, it's someone from my home island who's coming to share a conversation with me, someone I've known for years and with whom I had the chance to collaborate many times, Alexander Lee. Alexander is an artist from Tahiti who has traveled all around the world to express his art through many forms around the idea of perspective and connections with others. With him, we talk about his creative process, the need for art and contemporary art especially, in questioning our island societies in the wake of our history and how art can guide us into the future. So now, on to my conversation with Alexander. Alex Yarana. Yarana. Welcome to the Pacific Talks. I'm very happy to have you uh, in our studio today and uh, have this conversation with you. Um, privileged to have known you for some years and following your art. So I'm very happy to have the chance to have this discussion with you. So welcome today. Thank you, Maruro, for this invitation, Philippe. Uh, so for people who don't know you yet, uh, there are some like that. Uh, for the moment, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, about your life path? And maybe a little bit also about your art philosophy. So, Alexander Lee, I've um, um, basically, I grew up in Tahiti. I had the chance to be born in the U.S., or not, maybe not the chance, the unfortunate uh, event. But basically, my um, I'm Polynesian from three generations. Mm -hmm. And I grew up here, and then I went back to the U.S. to study um, for college, to art school. And I now have a practice between Tahiti, back home where my parents are, my extended family, and you know my culture, and also the rest of the world. So I'm fortunate enough to have this global um, practice where I can be in different places in the world, and it helps me think about the world differently, and think about each place not from it well, from its locality when I'm there, but then also from the perspective of the other place. Mm -hmm where where I'm not or where where I'm where I am in relationship to the other place mm -hmm. that I left or that I'm going to so oh my art practice so <laughs> I've um uh materially I guess I'm very interested in materials and doing making things with my hands so I've always made I've always made drawings and mm -hmm. then from there started to make sculptures and paintings and but I also know how to use a computer so I also know how to use digital tools to make videos and film and, mm -hmm. and in in terms of the the, um, the artistic project if I can say it that way um, I think it's uh, my background is very unique because I feel like coming from five different um, cultures and perspective um, Hakka Chinese uh, French, American um, Polynesian queer and everything that goes in between I feel like it, it, all of these people or cultures and facets of myself 
give me um, a stance to look at the other ones. Mm. And so in respect to the, to the artistic project and the world, I think it's, it's really interesting for me to, at this moment especially, to, to be able to have a voice in thinking about the world from all of those perspectives and um, also think about the different alternatives. So mm. instead of being Eurocentric or American-centric or Western-centric, I can say, well, actually, I'm also Asian and Polynesian, and I can think in reverses. And if we, we want to talk about uh, future studies and ways to look at um, you know, prospectivists and ways to look at the futures, to look at um, inverses and alternatives. Mm. And do you think, unlike uh, maybe other local artists from Tahiti or from the Pacific, this diversity of yours really shapes the way that you understand or that you uh, leave your art? Like, I mean, you said you use like different materials, you're very easy on different types of arts, uh, you have different perspectives. So is it because of your multicultural background that you have developed this easiness and in production or in creativity? Nothing's easy when you're an artist. <laughs> a disability, if not easiness. <laughs> I think thing, things take time. And so, obviously, my brothers are not artists. They're from the same mold, maybe, than me, in a way you can say, you know. And so I don't think necessarily the... Uh, I mean, the environment helps, but it's, it's, um, it's also a personal impetus, right, to mm -hmm. be... To, to decide to want to be an artist and to make it in a you know, life goal or career path or whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think it certainly informs my practice and my vision of the world. And um, But not everybody also wants to tackle all of these issues mm. all at the same time, right? One, somebody could just want to be American artists, yeah. even though they might be Hawaiian or Polynesian as well, or vice versa. Mm. Yeah, it adds complexity, obviously, to the way you see things or understand mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Well, I think I realized throughout art school at some point that um, I was taught, in art school, I was taught the history of art and an art practice on a Western model. And throughout, throughout this... Um, Uh, schooling or throughout this form formation, throughout mm, this training. Um, training, the questions that I've always asked myself is, well, what about the other part? Mm. And the other part could be, what about the non-white part? Or what about the non-Western sort of way of looking at it? Or what about, you know, inverses? What about the queer part, if I'm a male? What about the woman's part? What about, in, and all that. So... I think this questioning is important in trying to think about perspectives, but then also when you look at a, f a completed, quote unquote, like a work of art at the end, the question is also, um, well, where do, what does it represent and where is it coming from? And do I have the clues to understand what it is? Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine for me, I always feel like Uh, a work is finished when it, it it's at the same time familiar but then also completely other and foreign mm. right so it's like a UFO but it's also not but yeah. it's enough that you're like, like a familiar UFO there's something yeah. 
there's something that is kind of quite not right or there's something that is either makes it a better version of what you recognize or a completely strange and and it in ask you questions about why do you think that way mm. right why do you not like this color combination or why does it vibrate in your eyes so that even if you don't like the color combination you can't stop looking at it yeah like a ufo or like a car crash because it um, trigger something in you either um, optically with color or emotionally or all of it right mm. like form color um, context the way you apprehend the work like you come upon something and, or you expect something and all of a sudden you're in in a place that you don't expect to be mm. um, or an environment or you know that even just color can do very tricky and emotional things to you right mm. from afar you can look at something and just feel like oh my god too busy tacky whatever like you know shiny and then you come closer and something happens that makes you stop and think there's something strange and weird and i don't quite understand what it is mm. but it makes me stop and i want to look at it and question it and either live with it or at least you know it triggers you in different ways so that mm -hmm. hopefully you ask yourself questions yeah and this ability to see the other perspective as you say like whatever side you are on to see the other side mm -hmm. is it what helped you also to have this international exposure you've exposed your art in uh, <laughs> south america and the u.s and europe in many many places way outside the pacific So is it because of that ability of yours to adapt to the other that you manage to interact more easily with very different audiences? And how can you find a way to interest people to Polynesian art if that's what maybe you define your art? Oh, there's so many questions into that <laughs> comment. Where do I start? Uh, I think as an artist first, one should... Um, one should s'alimenter, uh, one should feed oneself, mm -hmm. right? So some people could be perfectly happy just working in their studio and not seeing the rest of the world, right? And just sort of like ship things across the world. And it, that's a way of practicing a work. Um, I tend to want to meet the people and go places. Mm -hmm. And so um, I've, I have to say I've had the privilege to be invited to different places, but then also I've, I've cultivated relationships so that I have a curiosity and people are willing to invite me and sometimes when there's not a lot of budget or whatever you just sort of make do because you feel like well I want to want to go to Brazil and mm. I want to you know check out I don't know the carnival or whatever Sao Paulo or Rio or whatever and yeah or you know I don't know somebody asked me to do a project in Lithuania Mm. And you know you're like what <laughs> like Polynesia to Lithuania yeah, that's like <laughs> and so and again I'm not like a I don't flip burgers you know I don't I'm the kind of artist who doesn't like to make the same work mm. everywhere in the world and so I always go and ask myself these questions like what am I doing here what is my purpose and what is um, what can I do in a way in this particular context mm. as an artist in the work in a place uh, in the way I meet people and how do I make these bridges of thematics um, 
and human, you know, relationships, and but also historical ones, mm. right? So, so you don't just don't send your arts there and, and visit the place. You go there and you create your art from there, bringing with you all your background, all your experience, all your culture. Uh, well, try to it with the feeling of the place, right? I don't. This, uh, yeah. Okay. It's a way of yes. Hopefully, not exactly the way you say it, but. Uh, <laughs> The idea is to have a discussion, a dialogue with the place, mm. so that, um, and I think it's very, it's more respectful. I think maybe it's a cultural thing, right? Mm. You go to places, and like in Tahiti, a lot of there's a lot of resentment uh, with first contact and colonization, mm. and so you know there's always this very strong sometimes feelings of, well. It comes from somewhere else. It's not from our place. And mm. where, what does it do here? Like it shouldn't belong. It doesn't belong here. It's not part of us. And so even that can be hermetic. This relationship to the other. But then, on the other hand, the reverse question arises, where it's like, well, when when we go to another place, do we make those connections to um, have a relationship with the other people and not just go and take and leave? Right. Mm. We're not. I mean. Because that's always the the um, the reproach, like that you know, this feeling of just being a tourist. You go a place somewhere, yeah, and you take and you use and you and you, and you leave, mm-hmm. right? You deplete, you deplete you or whatever, and then you leave, and so um, that culture of taking could maybe could be an interesting. Um, concept to think about mm. well maybe we should stop taking maybe we, we should start to give back and mm. and you know make bridges as opposed to yeah. just taking and leaving I mean and how yeah. does the audience react then when you go there you create this dialogue between you and everything you bring with you mm. and and the place where you're in uh, like what's what's the audience reaction are they used to that or is it like something new or does it create like completely new experience every time I think it depends on the project, right? So if it's in a contemporary art center, for example, in Lithuania, I had to do a gigantic mural that was six meters high by 40 meters long, and I had two weeks to do it. And, you know, because it flew me over over there. So, you know, and, and I didn't have a lot of time to do it, but then I also had... Um, a limited amount of people to have these dialogues with, right? So you, you, um, or I, at least maybe I should say I, but um, you talk to people. So I talked to my assistants, whoever was helping me there. I talked to the um, curators who invited me. And, you know, you t- I t- walk on the street and I look at what's going on. And um, based on that, I compose something. And but uh, I mean I mean I also do research ahead of time. Obviously, I don't just like drop in and kind of. Um, there's always discussion about what is the project, what 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 is the thematic or the, of the exhibition, mm-hmm. what does it mean, why are we, what haven't been selected to be part of the exhibition, and what the, the, does the work need to be, or you know, and so all of this influences the work and. And obviously people call me because they've seen my work before and they know what I'm doing. And so there's usually already um, a, a thematical or interest in the in the way of um, working. Mm. So the facilitation for the dialogue, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's like you, if, if you want, you know, vinegar, you're not going to buy 
I don't know, sugar, right? Mm-hmm. Or some, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, so I think that's a, a little bit of part of the, the relationship with the place. People invite me because they've, they've seen my work or they understand my process. And they're interested in, you know, giving it a different context and, you know, not just sort of like helping me realize the work, but then also in the process of what, what does... Um, what does a Polynesian artist who can come from a place of the sea do in the middle of Europe mm. um, in a specific context, right? So you were, you were saying just before that uh, in Polynesia there is some resentment with everything that comes from outside and this difficulty to eventually make contact and to give also and not just to take. And Obviously, the history of French Polynesia has had its own struggle, uh, colonization being the first one, uh, the nuclear era being a major one in terms of consequences. Uh, so, you're a product of this history, your diversity is the fact of this historical situation in French Polynesia. So. How much do you think this influenced your creativity and more generally the creativity of the local art scene in, in Tahiti? Do you think like people really feed themselves from this history and try to question it today or, or is it just something they live with and, and just find other inspiration? Like what's, what's your take on the influence of that? Okay, so... Um all of our histories are complex, mm. obviously. So, but what's interesting in this history of colonization and the way even the Chinese were brought in afterwards, part of this history, is um, that it makes us who we are, like you said. But we can't really go back, right? Mm. I mean, we all all part of, of the product of these. And so whether we use it... Um, to try to understand what happened, but then also try to go forward in in um, developing a place that encompasses all of these histories, um, or whether we decide to pick a camp and then use the finger pointing to mm-hmm. sort of like make a demarcation line is a whole other, it's a personal choice, I guess, and a political one too, obviously. Yeah. I mean. One can't, but I feel like, um, personally, I might not want to just spend the rest of my life just pointing the finger of, at someone and say, tell my parents it's your fault if I'm the way I am, right? Mm. I mean, it's, I'd rather compose with that and move forward because it is a richness too, right? They made me who I am, mm. the way it is, and they gave me certain tools or not, and if they didn't give me any tools, it's for me to find them and shape them, right? And become who I want to become and not um, st- stay a pariah because I wasn't born white or I wasn't born rich mm. or I wasn't born, I don't know, a girl or I wasn't born man or whatnot, right? And so I think there's a there's also a very... I mean, I, 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 I'm not saying everyone's, like, against the outsiders. I think it's... Um, it could be another cliche, but um, in this era of, uh, I feel like we're at an interesting moment because we're in different shift. You know, in the twenty first century, and and it's hard. I mean, we see it around the world where 
radical right wing nationalist um, uh, rhetoric is starting to take a lot of hold and grasp on mm. onto people, and I think it's because people are afraid of their future. Mm. Right, we're at a moment where well. This fear of the environmental catastrophe that's been brewing since early 2000 with Al Gore and that movie, mm. and, you know, that made, made us aware of our environment and what we did to it, also really also put a, a lot of fear mm. into just thinking about the future, for one. And on the other hand, you have a lot of industrialists who say, well, we could use that fear and sell new mm. cars or new, I don't know, solar yes. panels or guns or whatever, right? Or we could use this fear to make people um, intolerable of the other mm. and other ways of living and being and, and, and thinking and, and believing in God or religion or even modes of life, right? I mean, we see it in the U.S. and abortion, for example. Mm. So... Uh, what was I trying to say with all of this? Oh, that is, it's always a personal cho choice, yeah. right? Do you stay? Do you go? Do you, do you stay in one place? Do you go? Do you try to make it better? Do you just complain that it's not like the other place? Or do you, you know, put the fault on the other? Because mm. it's easy to say you're different, so it's your fault. Yeah. Or you're a woman, so you don't know less. Or you're a man or whatever, mm. right? And so is it uh, a conscious choice for you to have chosen contemporary art forms uh, of expression in a way to say, I'm not questioning the past, I'm questioning the future? Or is it something that just came to you as a result of your personal experiences? I think it came from uh, finding my... It's like you you don't... I mean, I grew up not knowing what contemporary art meant, mm. right? I grew up not knowing what an artist meant because all of the models of artists were were actually... Um, <laughs> we call them wash ashores. <laughs> it's like white people arrive on the island mm. and they pretend that they're Gauguin because that's the myth and the cliche that and they the want to live. Right? the exotic painter. Right. Also, yeah who makes kind of like these like seashell pictures of flowers and naked women, right? And, yeah. um, and people keep making images like that. Mm. And they think it's art. And, you know, and that's a whole other... Uh, I think it's a question you should ask me, but... Um, <laughs> I don't think that's my practice. And I don't think it interests me to um, regurgitate cliches that way mm. uh, for commercial purposes. Um, I'm more interested in questioning the world through my art practice. Mm -hmm. And that means maybe having a pass on saying things, uh, but then also um, not necessarily having to be politicized in the sense that I have to choose a camp and stick by it mm. because uh, I took my... I took a card in a party, whatever yeah, it is, yeah. right? So, um, it was about the, was it a personal choice of yours, the medium that you use? Uh, contemporary art. Yeah. So, um, well, the thing about being a generalist 
is that it's nice because you can you don't necessarily need to be a specialist in all of the fields in order to have a practice mm. right you can have a sense of what each things are and hopefully you can compose with everything and make it into something else and when you need some a specific something then you either call on your specialist and you try to decipher what that is mm. right and then it's you can sort of like zoom in and out and I f and that's kind of how I felt like um, the way I mean being an artist in the contemporary field made me more free in a lot of different ways because I could say things but then I could also liberate myself from mm. them that you are mostly flexible for the question that comes in your mind to express your answers is that a good way to explain it that what's central to your work is the question or the interaction that you're focusing on and then from that you end up with a form of art uh, I, yeah, I don't know how to say uh, uh, I don't know if I want to generalize it too much either because mm. obviously I am a human person and I do need to have desires and in order to, to wake up and do what I want to do and mm. make what I want to make and so uh, if I had to, to uh, if I had to describe my practice I would say <clears throat> that it always comes from an intuition And and then I I start I try to respond to that intuition by making something and then to see where that takes me and mm. and then and I have to say sometimes I don't understand the intuition and I don't understand what I'm doing. It's just that I have this thing you know I have a feeling that I need I need to try to do something something interests me mm. and for some reason. You know, either the context or where I am makes me want to develop that further. Um, you know, it's a little bit like bricolage sometimes. Like you have all these like garage full of, mm. you know, personal projects you want to do, and then depending on the time and the uh, the, the the desire, you're like, well, I'm gonna work on this now, right? And but but obviously you start, but you never know where it ends, right? Because it's mm. not a finite process; it's a life project. So. You start something and either it becomes something else or, you know, it keeps growing so that it becomes and it develops into something that's, f you know, f more fully, a sentence that is more fully developed, if I can mm -hmm. call it that way. Or it ends because it was a test and it worked and you're like, well, we don't have enough money or I don't have the right exhibition or, you know, not at that place yet. So mm -hmm. I'm going to put it aside and I'll come back to it later. Or it could be that say I see an image or I see something that interests me and I want to put into an image and you and you and you like the image but you don't understand what it means mm. and and it, that answer might come not come until like two or three years later okay. until something else develops and you're like oh I've heard about that story or I just discover you know right you just mm. 
you ju- um, that happened to me. I had an image of this umiti that was floating on the ocean. Mm. And I, um, that started because somebody gave me an old umete, um that uh, my, my neighbor, and she said I used to make um, ra'au in it, medication, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. transitional medication in it. And so uh, it was just, you know, her, her, her daughter in was going to throw it away, and I saw that outside, and I thought, oh, can I have it? Because, you know, it means something to me. There's something in there. And she said, yeah, of course you can have it. I want you to have it. So I had it at home, and then I saw it, saw that, for example, it started to have termite holes in it. So I asked a friend, oh, how do I treat it against termite without putting pesticides on it? And he said, well, you can either put it in the freezer, but where do you find a freezer that's large enough for uh, a large omiti? Or you can also just bathe it in salt water in the mm-hmm. sea, and then you know, once, you know, once in a while just to, like... So I did that. I went to the sea with it, and um, you know, you put a piece of wood that's carved into the ocean, and it floats, right? So in order for it to get imbibed by the salt in the sea, I had to sort of like almost play with it and keep it under the ocean. I didn't want to leave it mm. in the sea, obviously, overnight or anything. And just this image of this floating bark was beautiful, but I didn't really understand what it mm. was and what it meant. And two years later, I was doing research for another project, and I stumbled upon the story of Vaita, who's the, you might have heard of it, or should I recall it? Maybe you can, for the listeners who may not be familiar with it. So, the Vaita, okay, so it basically goes back to the, the times of immemorial times, when they had the last Haupau Nui, mm. uh, which is a big gathering of Polynesian um, 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 priests, I guess you can call them, at, uh, in Taputapuatea, and um, they were all assembled there, and the story goes that there was a, a, a wind, a, a, a really strong wind that clipped all of the leaves from the tamanu tree on the mare side. Mm-hmm. And of course, all being priests and men of signs, they all wondered what it meant, right? How could a wind like this just clip all the leaves of a tree just like that and nobody could answer because they were all befuddled by the, this event and uh, one of the priests named Vaita uh, stood up and said oh I know what it means it means that um, and I, can, I don't know I can't say the phrase in Tahitian but it means that the people from the same tumu than us people from the same trunk, tree, mm-hmm. or the same sush mm-hmm. um, us would come, they would be different but they're from the same trunk and they would totally revolutionize our life and everything the entire society would change mm. and that was such a shock to everyone that of course they asked him where he, where he came from and if he could prove that and um, of course, like imagine priests at the time were also like politicians, right? They had yeah. the knowledge of <laughs> right. They, but they had the they were supposed to have the knowledge mm. of divinity, yeah. right? Yeah. And and predict things and to and and understand signs when they happen. So if they didn't know what happened in something such so big, they were very frightened by mm. their um, position, right? So. Um, 
Vaita gets called by Tamatoa, the king, the next day, uh, and to you know to repeat what he said. And he gets there, and there's a gigantic audience, and he repeats what he says. And the king asks him, "Well, can you try?" Oh, he he further says these um, people from the same trunk that us would come on big boats with an outrigger, and that was the second outrage because. Um, everybody thought that a boat had to come with an outrigger, otherwise mm. it would, you know, sink, sink and just yeah. like a turn over into the into the sea. And so uh, they asked him if he could prove that such a boat could exist. And he asked one of the servants of the king to take a umete mm. and put it in the water. And right, a bowl like floats on the sea um, without an outrigger. And that was that image that I had made. Or okay. that I had thought about um, two, three years before yes. that I had filmed, but mm-hmm. I didn't know what to do with it because I didn't understand what it meant, and so it became a a, a video um, that actually made with futurists mm-hmm. from Belgium because I was doing a project about future studies in at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Antwerp. Nice, for example. Fascinating to see how the process came in your mind and kind of like be in your head because sometimes so hard to. Imagine how artists can work uh, when you're not an artist, right? Uh, okay, I'm gonna. But I mean, uh, that okay. said, though, I don't know if people get it all, right? I, I mean, I make things, and I, for me, it makes mm. sense, and I try to make it in a way that is at the same time interesting and alluring. But it is another way of recodifying all of that process, mm. and so the question, of course, is always well. Do people who come and see the work understand fully everything about mm. it? But what if they understand something different? Is it bad or is it also the purpose of art to get something out of it, whatever you get it, because you bring your own experience also from it? Well, hopefully they're going to be um, enchanted, maybe, hopefully, by it, or that it's going to trigger something by the, you mm. know, in that they would go further and try to ask them these other questions, right? Yeah. I mean, throughout the history of art, we've always, artists have always sort of had inside joke stories or narratives embedded into mm. works. And so um, whether we, we understand them at the time or whether we understand them later or whether they die with that secret or mm. that you know those keys is also part of yeah, yeah. The practice okay I'm gonna ask you the question because you told me to but uh, so you said that you grew up without an image of an artist because all the artists at the time were not people like you we can say you know in a shortened way uh, and indeed for a long time in Polynesian French Polynesian probably in the Pacific as a whole the artists, at least those who were known by the audience, were uh, mostly from European-American descent. It seems to me that things are changing for now. We see more and more local artists, Polynesian or mixed origins, taking over the art scene and, and with strong expressions, strong pieces of art are really, really, not only beautiful, but really questioning things. And we've seen like many exhibitions recently, you've been part of some, you've uh, probably have many artists that you know there are. Do you, do you share this vision that the art scene is shifting in, in Tahiti and in the Pacific and that it may be a sign that there are more 
uh, will from the people here to express themselves and to say this is how we see the world and we don't want to be seen through the eyes of someone else. We're happy to share, we're happy to connect like you said, uh, as you do, but we also want our voices to be heard and we're going to say things the way we want, even if it's through not only traditional arts but a lot of contemporary mm -hmm. or like the art scene, like the graffiti scene for example, like street art and all that. So what, what's your take on that? I think we've always had creative people here, mm. whether we call them artists or artisans or tapa makers mm. or, you know, um, vivo, you know, sculptures, um, instrument singers or instrument players. Um, and so... So, so we've always have people doing like thinking creatively and having sensitivity. I think the the question was always like, do you, how do you connect people within localities, right? So, mm -hmm. you can have someone who's talented in the Marquesas or the Tomutu, and if they don't come to Tahiti and they don't get play on the radio mm -hmm. station, you don't even hear about them, right? It's only when you travel somewhere and then you might go to a a brang, you know, mm -hmm. like a family um, sort of like uh, feast that you can hear someone sing. Um, but now that we have digital tools and social media, you know, you could be in your living room singing a song mm -hmm. or doing a, you know, a repeat of something and you could have an audience. And your audience doesn't necessarily have to be your own in your own locality. They can actually be on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a huge game changer in so many different ways of being aware of the world so that um, you can stay in your locality but then also have a relationship to the world and vice versa, someone from the other side of the world can be thinking, well, is there a, I don't want to say the name of the, you know, the social media company, yeah, but is there someone... <laughs> over there who's doing something and that could be funny or interesting, right? Whether it's uh, music, singing, or arts, right? And so um, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, arts and crafts or, or tapa making or contemporary or graffiti mm -hmm. or at the end of the day, the, 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 um, the impetus is also to communicate. Yeah. and to try to share something so hopefully that's that helps mm. that sure helps so is it that the um, message the message is more heard now because technology helps or do you think also the message that is conveyed by artists oh. has changed recently no i think uh, there's aware awareness in the western world too that well actually the world is not just white i'm mm. sorry to say right and not just uh, American or European centric. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there are the other cultures, and they're worth, and they're worth what they're worth, mm -hmm. and they also have practices and creative practices and things that we are we are interested in. And so, and also marketable. Because I mm -hmm. have to say, I mean, we've never talked about it, but you know, money and making a market and making something that could be sellable for for some kind of reason is also part of the impetus of the world too, right? We wouldn't be going into space if somebody didn't think that they could make money yeah. sending satellites up there, and for example. So I think the drive forward, if we can call it that way, is also that... Um, 
there's uh, there's a market because there might be entertainment mm -hmm. value into something. Um, but then also there's another awareness of the world, right? In this relationship to the environment, um, I, I think, I hope, that one also questions their own relationship to the world, not only just being an urbanite and throwing mm -hmm. everything in the trash bin and just call it a day, but also thinking, well, after two years of being locked down by COVID, actually, what am I doing in the box in the middle mm -hmm. of a city, right? And the, so the relationship to the other and the other world that is, um, I don't want to say natural, but yeah, I mean, where there's the sea, when there's mountain, when there's nature, um, uh, is a way to expand one's consciousness, consciousness of the world. Mm. And the question in this moment of our environmental um, awareness, hopefully, is also awareness of other cultures and how they've um, they've survived in other climates mm -hmm. and other uh, environments okay. so this idea of being aware of the ocean as a place and not just the continent as a mm -hmm. place um, I think for me is very important because I mean we are 70% water as human people yeah. in our bodies and our earth is 70% water and the question is, how do we uh, relink ourselves to this element um, within us, but then also in our environment? And how can we live with it as opposed to away from it? Mm. And, and maybe, you know, I mean, the broader question is, do we go back to the sea or do we go to outer space, right? Yeah. So if I hear you correctly, it seems like, as for now, people have rethought their relationship to the other and, and learn to reconnect this difference and somehow following on what you're trying to question in your art by saying, okay, what's the other perspective and how, what can I learn from it, right? Well, yeah, I mean, how do we... But I think it's the civilizational question is also uh, if we need to upload ourselves into a non-human form, or into outer space, which is gonna also mm. well, first this idea of digitization, right? Mm -hmm. It also is part of it. Well, do we, how do we feed into a matrix of knowledge? Um, things that we f make. I mean, we can feed it data, but how do we feel our humanity into mm. it? How do we upload that? Does that answer your question? So. Uh, in order to try to understand who we are as human that makes us different than robots, right? Mm. Or machines, is also trying to understand the other, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, so obviously we've created systems um, that turn us into robots. Like, you know, you clock in at work in the mm. morning and you're essentially kind of being a robot until 5 or 6 or 7 p.m. when you're done. And then you go home and you, you watch TV because you need to blank out. But... At the end of the day, the question is, well, what makes us human? And when all of this sort of like work that we've created can be turned into robots, maybe, or mechanized, what do we do of ourselves and our time, mm -hmm. for one, if we're alive? And if we're not, and we try to, as a species, uh, transform, um, what do we take with us if we upload 
into the metaverse mm -hmm. in bits or if we're going to need to ship our bodies to outer space at some point our limbs are not going to start functioning so mm -hmm. we're going to need to transform again and what keeps us who we are in the form that we're going to take mm -hmm. interesting Let's stay in the field of technology. You said that social media helped a lot. You shouldn't have asked that question. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> that was a trap. That was, that was a good, good answer. Very, very interesting. So you, you told us that the social media helped mostly local artists to find an audience more easily than maybe before. But I would like to share with you a quote, and I do that at that point of the podcast every time, to kind of have like different minds colliding to each other. Uh, it's a quote from a book named uh, Far and Away from uh, a psychology, psychologist, sorry, an art critic, Andrew Solomon, that you may have heard about. It's also a big product of diversity in many ways. And, and he tells us uh, this affirming that everyone is of equal importance, legally and morally, is one thing. Saying that everyone has something to say of equal importance is cacophony. You cannot hear a thousand voices at once and understand what anyone is saying. And somehow, sometimes we can think that too much information, too much content is eventually drowning us and we don't see anything. Uh, can this be a problem for artists as you have been for centuries, the voice of questioning, the voice of perspective, the voice of people sometimes? And now everyone can say anything and everything. And is art can still find a place in this society where everyone has a voice? Or how can you function yourself as an artist in this new environment of so much content, of equal value of everything? Well, everybody can answer that question for themselves within their own practice, but I feel like I, and sorry, I would, if I can add to the question, sorry. especially as a, as a Polynesian artist, where we've seen sometimes that very far away from everything uh, and isolated, which that's some perspective of it, but uh, like how can you be heard as an artist also in this cacophony of content? I think the trap is always to think that as an artist, you're successful because people hear what you say right away. Mm. Or maybe that's a trap of Western civilization, that um, this idea of instant gratification, that people are, are really going to get it right there, exactly what you said. Like, mm. you know, and I mean, I'm, I'm in my 40s, I'm, you know, closer to my 50s, and I feel like it took me all of this time to understand my voice and my perspectives, mm -hmm. you know, with an S. And how do I try to... I don't even think anybody... It's hard to find people who get what you're doing right away. It takes time even for other people to decipher what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, for me at least, right? So I feel like um, I'm not really working for today... Uh, it could be selfish but I'm working for myself in the way I feel like I need to work because mm -hmm. otherwise I'm not going to make the work but I also feel like um, hopefully I'm working for the future right and for future's people so um, I'm not quite sure if that makes sense in that in the way you're questioning things because maybe my audience is not born yet mm -hmm. 
So it's not about instantaneity, it's about the distance that you will give to people who will see your art even after a long time. Well, uh, okay, I mean, we have to di the differentiate between commercial success, critical success, and, and timeliness of things, mm. right? So um, you could be making burgers and have a huge commercial success because you're making the same thing and everybody loves it. And mm. you can just like buy for 20 bucks or, you know, 30 or whatever. It's an expensive and, burger, though. Or, well, <laughs> there are $50 burgers yeah. or more. You can put caviar in burgers. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but I, I mean so the question is always well you know what what is the purpose what is the project is the project about sort of like making an image that is instantaneously recognizable and having a brand name so that the market can recognize you and sure invest in you mm. because in 50 years maybe then you're going to be dead and the hundred works that you've made are only going to be those hundred word words mm. because you're dead and they're becoming like an investment because you know there's no more and so then they can speculate on your work after you're dead mm. so I think this is I mean it's a commercial investment it's not art necessarily yeah. right? um, and so that's that and then you can think about an art practice as doing something spiritual, you know, that doesn't necessarily have a uh, commercial um, component or, you know, and, but that also fulfills you and hopefully fulfills the people who you touch with it mm -hmm. or who are interact with it. And, and then there's also saying things that, um, you know, sometimes as an artist you have to say things that are not part of the current mood mm. or the political mood. So I've, um, for, f from early on, I've realized that, for example, the French nuclear military complex with 30 years of nuclear testing in the Pacific was a huge taboo um, thematic and subject mm. everywhere. Like, because, um, because it, it was a po huge political taboo. You couldn't, go into politics talking about it because mm. you were put in prison or jail and uh, as an artist you couldn't talk about it either because people wouldn't buy it or you wouldn't even get any recognition for anything but it's such a it's like the elephant in the room and so um, somebody needed to s stand up and say well this also shaped us in so many ways and we've never talked about it mm. and it's a it's a, the biggest trauma that we've had and it's shaped us in so many ways that we don't even understand that if we don't start to talk about it and see it and unpack it, uh, we're going to forget uh, how the keys to these triggers are and mm -hmm. we might actually, it might actually become uh, bomba retardement, you know, uh, civilizationally. So I felt that my, my, my impetus in trying to think about it that way was, well, it's so big that for someone to not talk about it and think about it visually because we couldn't say it in words um, uh, I mean I mean somebody had to do it mm. so how do I answer that question for you so when I started do doing that work about the nuclear project here I think a lot of people were not interested here in Polynesia looking at it and seeing it or even buying it
But I had an audience, hopefully in New York, and I did, mm. because it created that space. Um, but I don't think New Yorkers really cared about it either. I mean, it, you know, it was like, oh, this happened there. We did it in the Marshall Island too. Yeah. Um, um, but retroactively, maybe in 20 years, when we really digest all of that, and the angers and the hard feelings sort of start to subsume so that hopefully we can find a solution to go forward and not be stuck with in that moment. We can look at artists who have talked about it and, mm. and say, well, somebody did it before and they, they try to say it, right? In literary, in literary, in literature, mm or in poetry, or in art, or in songs. Yeah. And, um, and, and they're, they become mnemonic tools to tell those stories. Mm. Uh, markers in time of like, how things were in the society at the time. So I guess it's a... Right, and so also in an absence of, uh, in an absence of words, mm. in, in an absence of dialogue or so, of facts, it's like, well, you have to imagine those things, yeah. right? You have to fill them in with a sense of the horror and the, the horror that is also coupled with the, the awe. Mm. Because, you know, in all of the people I've talked to, um, they talk about the mushroom cloud as this really amazing, spectacular, mm. beautiful thing, event, yeah. right? And this inability to put words on all this also, obviously, doesn't help. And mm -hmm. art can be the other way to do it. Hopefully. Right. Yep. My last question for you, Alex. Mm -hmm. Could stay there longer, but uh, so for any any artist or anyone who's interested in art that who's uh, listening to this episode, who's listening to you and your creative process, if you had anything you'd like to share with them, any idea, any. Anything you'd like to plant in their minds? Uh, what would you like to share with them? I'm thinking you're going to cut the silence, right? <laughs> no, it's actually interesting. <laughs> it's part of the process. 1001, 1002, 1003. Um, I think one should uh, trust in um, and be curious about the world, but um, it's always hard to say, like, well, you should do this, right? Because then people can take it the wrong way and say, oh, I really want to just, like, eat a lot of burgers for the rest of my life and call it art. Maybe something to remember <laughs> that is important for you. I think it's it's uh, trusting one's instincts, but then also um, not being afraid of getting out of your comfort zone, mm. right? To go and and visit the other and try to understand them, or if you're like confronted with something that um, isn't necessarily pleasure pleasurable, to try to question that, mm. like why does it not make me feel pleasure pleasure, or mm. you know why does it make me think that it looks ugly because for somebody else it might not actually be ugly or it might not be about the look of it it might actually be about something else yeah. 
in the process. So, so, so like stopping and questioning those for oneself, and then also you know, asking the other their um, opinion maybe. I would say it that way. Yeah. Mm. So looking for anything that questions you or your world or your experience. Yeah, like being um, being open to the mm. world and the possibilities and uh, and, um, and and yeah, maybe hopefully uh, you know, created something out of it as opposed to just wanting it a certain way and wanting in your own way or mm. like um, I think surprises are fun, right? Yeah, they're not always comfortable, but they yeah. eventually end up with something right, worth, yeah. worthy of. You don't have your them. arms chopped off because you were bitten by a shark <laughs> or something. <laughs> Try to avoid that. <laughs> all right, Alex, uh, thank you, Maruru Roa, for coming to the Pacific Talks and uh, all the best of luck for your coming works wherever you'll be in the world. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Pacific Talks is a podcast hosted by me, Philippe, and produced by Pacific Venture Media. If you enjoy this conversation, feel free to subscribe on any podcast platform of your choice. You can also share it on your social medias or with your friends, family, or colleagues. And if you listen to it on a podcast platform, feel free to leave us a review. This is very important to us as it helps us to reach out to more people. If you want to share your thoughts and ideas following this conversation, you can reach out to us directly by email, contact at pacificventry.com or on all our social platforms. Until next time with another guest, another discussion on the challenges of the Pacific. Take care and see you soon. Peace.